Amen. Well, good morning. And uh, thanks to, to John and the band for leading us in worship this morning. So before we come to share communion together, I thought this morning, as I was preparing and, and praying into this morning and, and just trying to, trying to discern what, what message needed to come out of this morning, I, the word that kept on coming to me was temptation. Temptation. Now, temptation is one of these, these words that we often throw around in church. And we are all tempted in many different ways on a regular basis. And temptation is the path to sin. Temptation is the, the, the thing that kind of it gives us the option of sinning. We often talk about temptation, the, sort of the clumsy side of temptation. The side of temptation that presents itself so obviously that it's actually, you can, you can look at a decision someone's made or, or something someone's done and you can think, how on earth did you not see that? How did you allow yourself to fall into temptation? Or rather, as Ian always says, no one falls. You, you jump, you step, you walk, you take the choice. So this morning I thought, what, uh, what we'll do, we'll, we'll have a think about the subtle side of temptation. And the medium that we're going to use to do that is, is actually, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to open up a bit here. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to confess a story. Um, it's a story of, of temptation. It's a story of, of seduction. Now you're listening. <laughs> and it's a story that, that, that very nearly had absolutely catastrophic consequences. You see, it's like this. It all started one morning a few weeks ago. It was a, um, a, a Thursday morning and Bernard came into the office and Bernard was having a bit of a moan. <laughs> they did that, not me. <laughs> but he was entirely justified. What he was saying, he, he, said, he, said, he said, come on, look, the state of this office... He said, look, you've got a cafetiere that I know was here on Monday when I came in. You've got mugs lying around. It's fit. Do, you not, do you not do washing up? No, no we evidently don't. <laughs> and I think there was, a, there was a bit of a sort of a pregnant pause where we thought, oh, great, Bernard's going to collect it all and go and do it. Yes, <laughs> but, but, he, but he didn't. He didn't. Um, he, he, point, he pointed out, and he, he, he then left, and um, I thought, you know, he's got a point. We've got these lovely new offices that we, we thoroughly enjoy working in. It's down to us to make sure that we keep them tidy, keep them clean. And he was absolutely right. There, there was a, um, a cafeteria that had been in, in there for about a week. There were mugs. I mean, um, if you ever get a chance to look in the bottom of Ian's mug, there are, there's, there's ecosystems in there that are undiscovered by science. It's, it's a thick brown rind in the bottom. It's incredible. He must have an incredible immune system. Um, <laughs> But I thought to myself, no, Bernard's right, we need to do something about this. So, on the Friday afternoon, before I left the office, I thought, I'm going to do my good deed. I'm going to go around and I'm going to gather up all the, all the mugs and everything else. I went into the youth room, Ian's office, the staff office, I checked everywhere upstairs. And we've got that little kitchen, the little kitchenette, whatever that is, um, that used to be used by preschool. And I went in there and I, I put all this stuff next to the sink. And there was a lot of stuff. And I thought, there's a temptation here. Because what I've done, I've done the hunter-gathering bit. I've got it all together. I've put it in one place next to the sink. The next person to walk into the kitchen will, will recognise the need for washing up to be done. And I was that close to thinking, well, that's, 
that's that's a start. You know, we've we've got a staff team. It doesn't have to be me. That's a start. And I was very very close to one. I thought, no, I can't walk away. I can't walk away. In Jeremiah, we read a curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. And I thought, I don't really fancy a curse on me. I'm going to follow this through. So anyway, um, I got all this stuff and I started started looking through the the cupboards for for a a cloth or a a sponge or something. And I discovered one of those cupboards has got a dishwasher in it. It's great. And so I opened this dishwasher and I looked in it and it's all nice and it looks lovely. And I thought, happy days, I don't have to wash up. And so I got all these, all these mugs and I started putting them in the dishwasher. And I, I, I've watched Joe load a dishwasher many, many times. I thought, I, <laughs> from memory, I'm pretty sure I can work this out. So I, I, got it all, I got it all in there. I got it all in there. But you see, I had been tempted to leave it in the kitchen. I was then tempted, I thought, I don't know how this thing works. I thought, well, if I put it in there, I'll remember to ask anyone, the next person who knows how it works, they can just switch it on. That would be, be great. That would be fine. But then I was very conscious that, no, I've, I've, I've committed to doing this. I'm doing it. I really want, as a statement to the rest of the team, I want them to come in a Monday morning and for everything to be cleaned, everything to be done. Plus, plus, I've, I've stood here and at South Green and at Sunnymead many, many times and preached Ephesians 6, 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not man. And I thought, right, I'm going to serve wholeheartedly. I'm not going to think about the fact no one else has done it, that I'm doing everyone else's washing up. I'm gonna, this, is a, this is a duty to God. That's how I'm going to treat this. And that's, that's right. That's how we should treat things, even the trivialities in life. Serve wholeheartedly, not just when you, when you come to church, not just when you, when you agree to, to take on a, a duty. Serve wholeheartedly in every aspect of life. Everything that we do should be done wholeheartedly as if we're serving God. So I thought, right, okay, if this was, if this was um, God's office and it was his um, mugs and, and everything else that had been left lying around, I would be champing at the bit to go and collect it all and wash it up and show this is a service to God. So I thought that's the attitude that I'm going to take. But you see, having resisted the temptation just to leave everything, and then resisted a temptation just to gather it and leave it in the kitchen, I was seduced. I was seduced by the dishwasher. It was a shortcut. It was a way that would save me hard work. It was almost... It almost um, as if it was saying, I'm here, use me. You see, what I didn't do was what Joseph did. When Joseph was working for Potiphar in Egypt all those years ago, and when Egypt was working as a, as a servant in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife, who was very beautiful, had seen this, this, this young, handsome, strong servant boy, servant man, and said, come to bed with me. My husband's not here. I didn't do what Joseph did. Joseph, of course, said No. Joseph resisted the temptation. He didn't allow himself to be seduced. And even when that temptation went on and on and on, he said, no, no, no. And it got to the point where one day the temptation was so great, he wasn't sure if he could resist it. And so he threw down his cloak and he ran. He ran. He didn't allow himself to be seduced. When Potiphar's wife 
was laying herself open for him. I didn't have that strength with the dishwasher. I didn't leave the dishwasher alone and think, actually, I don't know how to use this thing. I'm going to abandon this. I'm going to use the, I know how to use a sink. I know how to use a tap and a little bit of soap. I can do that. Instead, instead, I allowed myself to be seduced by the dishwasher. And that was my first big mistake. Now, I didn't know how to use that thing, but I was pretty sure it needed to be switched on at the wall, easy enough. And then I thought, right, you're going to need um, a dishwasher tablet. So I looked through the cupboards and I couldn't find any. So I came down and checked out the dishwasher at the back there, which has some sort of rocket fuel put in it. I, it didn't look, the, didn't look appropriate, so I didn't use that. So I went upstairs and I thought, well, I could just put it through with no soap in it. It's going to be, it's going to be hot water. It's going, to, it's going to at least kill germs. It's going to be better than nothing. I could just do that. And then... Then came my second seduction of the afternoon. I saw on the side a bottle of fairy liquid. <laughs> now, I've heard the stories. I know you're not meant to. I've, heard, I've seen pictures of things that have happened, and I've, I've thought, what sort of Wally would do that? <laughs> well, well, this sort of Wally... I looked at the sink and I thought, well, you put a squirt of washing up liquid in the sink, you, you, it makes bubbles and everything. If you put loads in, of course it's going to go wrong. So I thought, right, that's the size of the sink. The dishwasher is about four times that. Okay, so there you go, four squirts, one for luck. Lovely. And then I looked in it and I thought, oh, that's quite green in there now. <laughs> but I kind of felt I'd hit the point of no return. Unfortunately, I'd, I'd acted very much like King David. Um, when he was wandering on his palace roof one night, when the army was off to war and he had chosen for some reason to stay in Jerusalem, um, he, he was just wandering and he suddenly, he didn't see a bottle of washing up liquid, he saw another man's wife bathing in her courtyard. He saw Bathsheba. And just like me with the bottle of fairy, he could not resist the temptation. He could not stop himself from being seduced into saying, who is she? Wow. And even when it was reported to him, well, that's the wife of Uriah, one of your, one of your top soldiers, a loyal servant who lays down his life for you on a daily basis, who's prepared to die for his king. It's his wife. Despite knowing that, David still cannot resist saying, bring her to me. Now, the dishwasher story, of course, is very trivial. But it does highlight the fact that all of us experience trivial temptation on a daily basis. Now, I, having put this washing up liquid in there, I was beginning to feel a certain sense of unease, I must admit. But I switched it on, I shut the door, it started whirring and doing things that dishwashers do. And I thought, it's OK, it will be all right. I'll just let it run its course, there's no one else in the building, it will be OK. And um, I went back into the office and I, I did some reading for half an hour. And then I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder if it's finished. So I, I, walked, I walked back and um, I, knew, I knew things weren't going ever so well <laughs> when I came down the, the corridor and opened the door and there were bubbles on the floor. 
And so I, I walked into the kitchen, and it was like... I've never been to a phone park. Well, I hadn't before then. <laughs> it was incredible. There was just bubbles everywhere. And I, 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 I began to panic, because this thing was making a funny noise. It was frothing at the mouth. It was like it was possessed. And so I thought, wow, am I going to pray for the dishwasher? And I thought, no, I, I, I'm going to go and, and try and do something about this. So I went downstairs, I got into the toddler cupboard, I got the scoop for the dustpan and brush. Joe, Hannah, sorry if it's a bit mucky, um, that was me. Um, and I started scooping the bubbles off the floor, putting them into the sink. Eventually the sink was filled, I started putting them into the bin, that didn't work. There was just bubbles, it was just coming, and it was just everywhere. So in the end I thought, right, I, I thought there's two things. First of all, um, what, if it's, what if it's leaking water? It didn't seem to be much water. I thought, well, that's, that's a blessing. Um, but I thought, what if it's behind us? I had visions of it collapsing through the floor, and uh, it, I thought this, this could end disastrously. And so, in the end, I thought, there's a live electric current in here. Um, I need to turn it off. So, so, with no regard for personal safety, <laughs> I went wading through the bubbles. Eventually, I found the wall, I felt myself along, and I, I managed to find the switch, and I switched it off, and the thing stopped. And I wiped the bubbles off me, and I just shut the kitchen door, and I thought, right, the bubbles will go. (laughs) And as I was standing there, drying myself off, feeling slightly sticky, I thought, you Wally, what were you thinking? You knew, you knew that was a stupid thing to do. You knew that wasn't going to end well. Why couldn't you just have, have, have just done the sensible thing and just washed up? You see, Jesus, in Matthew 7, he talks about the narrow and the wide gate. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. As I say, it's a trivial story. And it didn't lead to sin. But there was temptation after temptation after temptation. There was opportunities to to make life easier for myself. There was opportunities to just put it in the washer and switch it on and walk away and have a job done. There, There were opportunities and I made bad choices. I chose the broad and wide path. I went through the wide gate. And the reason I wanted to use that story this morning is because life is littered with trivial events like that where we can drop our guard. Life is full of these these instances where we think, well, I was going to do this because I know that that method would get the job done. That method would work. But, ooh, ooh, that's an attractive shortcut. Hmm, I'm going to give that a go. So often we have temptation put in our path and we follow the wide gate, the wide and broad and easy gate without remembering that it leads to destruction. When I walked into that kitchen, it was a scene of of destruction. I thought, this is a nightmare. I mean, if you've never done it, it's worth a try. (laughs) Don't do it at home. Go around in-laws or something. But I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's incredible. The number of bubbles that come, it's amazing. It really is. But boy, did I feel stupid afterwards. And it got me thinking. What if that had been... Just have one more glass of wine. Come on, I know you're going to go home. Just have one more and then go. 
Have you been in that situation? I have. Or maybe it's, look, I, I know you're a Christian and everything, but just, just put a one-pound bet on. Come on, it's a Grand National. Come on, join the sweepstake. Why not? Yeah? Or it might be, he's really nice, that guy at the gym. Why shouldn't I meet him for a coffee tomorrow morning? I haven't been in that situation personally, but <laughs> you see where I'm going. Trivial examples of things that can actually lead down the path of destruction. You see, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, it says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but when when I read that passage normally, I focus on the, the roaring lion, the thing that is very obvious and scary, and you see it coming a mile off. And it's imposing and threatening and aggressive. But actually, before it's a roaring lion, it's a prowling lion. I'm, I'm, I'm no wildlife expert, but I've watched enough David Attenborough to know that when a, uh, when a lion goes hunting, it is not roaring and making itself obvious to its prey because its prey would not give it a chance. Instead, it creeps through the undergrowth on pads that are so soft that it doesn't make a sound. And it gets closer and closer and closer, and then it stops. And it waits. And it watches. And eventually the gazelle, or whatever it happens to be, makes a mistake. They're all together in one cluster, and the lion knows that it it can't catch any. And then suddenly one of them sees a bit of lush-looking grass and wanders away, because there's no threat just wanders away and eats. It's probably done it a hundred times before when there was no prowling lion waiting for them. And it thinks, oh, I know you're not meant to. I know, I, I, I've, seen, I've heard about the wallies that have done this, strayed away from the herd and, and munched on the grass, but I'll be all right. And that's when Satan strikes. You suddenly get so complacent that you become careless. And before you know it, Satan's pinning you down with his claws in you and you're crying out for Jesus. So be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls. But you see, it's not all bad news. We're going to be sharing communion shortly. And the good thing about communion is that it's Jesus giving us the opportunity to come before him and ask for forgiveness for all the times that we have fallen into temptation. It's interesting at the moment, the the Pope is apparently trying to change the wording of the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't like the fact that it says, lead us not into temptation. And he's saying, well, God doesn't lead us into temptation. We willingly walk into temptation. It's our doing. It's not God's fault that we fall into temptation, that we we walk into temptation. I'm not sure I entirely agree, but I think there's certainly something to think about there. I used to do a lot of canoeing when I was younger, kayaking, that sort of thing. And um, I always remember that when you get into the water and you start paddling, 
everyone has a dominant stroke. Everyone has one side that's stronger than the other. And so, very quickly, the, 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 the point of your boat starts drifting off. And if you're going up a river or something, it's fairly easy to, to make sure. You've got, it's like having bumpers in a bowling alley. You, can, you, you know you're supposed to be just heading up the river. But if you're in open water and you've got no, nothing, to, um, nothing to take your bearings from, then actually it's really important to know that you're going in a straight line. It's difficult to look behind you without falling in. Well, I always found it anyway. And so you need to make sure that you know your dominant stroke. And you need to make sure that every now and then you do two strokes on your weaker side to, to correct. And so for many of us, our dominant stroke is sin. For many of us, as we go through life, sin is the thing that, that takes us off course. And before we know it, we're lost. and We don't know where we're going. Communion is one of the tools that Jesus gives us to correct that imbalance. It's one of the tools that Jesus gives us to bring ourselves back in line, to focus on the cross and ensure that we are heading along the path that he has set before us. There are others. Our daily devotionals, our prayer life, baptism, all these things. Reading scripture regularly. Spending time with, with fellow Christians, going to, to house groups or prayer meetings, that sort of thing. These are all things that, that help us to stay on the right track. Help us to, to avoid drifting off down through the wide gate that leads to destruction and, and, and instead to make sure that we, we stay heading towards that narrow gate. Jesus brings us back on course as we share around the communion table. Because, of course, Jesus knew what it was to be tempted Jesus was tempted. The gospel makes absolutely clear that Jesus, he was tempted in the wilderness. We read about it. It's not hidden. It's not, it's not anything that the gospel writers felt would detract from Jesus' presence and person. But Jesus recognised temptation. And he knew full well that temptation leads to sin. And so he didn't allow himself to take up the temptation on offer. He didn't allow himself to act upon it. We don't always have that strength. We're all fallen people. We all need the cross and what it signifies. We all need the opportunity to come before the cross to ask for forgiveness. We all need the opportunity through communion to claim our peace of the body and the blood of Christ and therefore to share in his sacrifice and therefore to be saved from our own sin. So I don't know what your trivial temptations are. It might be that you desperately want to diet but you just can't stop the temptation of food. It might be that you desperately want to stop drinking, but you've always got a bottle of wine in the cupboard, and no matter how quickly you drink that one and get rid of it, another one seems to appear in a shopping basket within a few days. Or it might be that you know you don't pull your weight around the house. You know you should, but household chores get done by someone else. Maybe it's basic manners. You work in a stressful situation and, and you know that often you're short and rude to your staff or to your colleagues. Or maybe it's simply that when you're, home, when you're at home, you're so shattered 
that all you want to do is just lay on the sofa and watch telly when you've got your children saying, Daddy, Mummy, please play with me, come on. These are all trivial temptations, but they're not trivial. No temptation is trivial. And as soon as we start treating it as trivial, that's when we begin to go through that wide path that leads to destruction. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and play one more song before we share communion together. And as we do that, as we do that, I wonder if you'd like to spend some time just wondering what your trivial temptations are, as well as what your massive, obvious temptations are. And just pray for God to help you in those, to help you resist them, to help you recognise them, and to help you not to fall victim to temptation. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we give thanks that we can turn to your word and you're there in the, in the, in the small details as well as in the, the huge gestures. We look at the world around us, Father, and we give thanks that we have your protection. Father, there are so many, so many temptations around us. There are so many things that, that appear to be attractive, harmless, and yet we know, Lord, that if they're not of you, they're not harmless. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to, to recognise temptation when it's thrown before us. Even in the, the tiny trivialities of everyday life, Father, we know that if we ignore them, then they, they lead to bigger and bigger temptations. And that leads to bigger and bigger sin, and that leads to a bigger and bigger separation between us and you. So, Father, we ask this morning that you will, you will prevent that from happening, that you will seek to, to prompt us to recognise these temptations, to, to ignore them, to say no. I'm going through that narrow gate. No matter how awkward it might be, no matter how difficult it might be to, to navigate through, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the cross, my heart full of the Holy Spirit, my mind full of the teachings of Jesus and my spirit focused on my Father in heaven. Lord, help us to achieve this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.